0: with Dr. Frank Turek.
1: I just got back from uh, three great universities. I'll tell you about a little bit later. The first thing I want to do, however, is I want to read a passage from a book known as the Bible. Have you heard of this? And uh, I want to read it, not tell you where it's from. I want you to call in and tell me, where is this in the Bible and... To whom is this passage referring? The number triple eight, five eight nine, eighty eight forty, triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. Call in, let me know your name. And where this is in the Bible and to whom it is referring. I'm going to read it right now and then call in again, triple eight, five eight nine, eighty eight forty. Here's the passage. Who has believed our message and to whom, Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering... because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now that's the passage, ladies and gentlemen. To whom is that passage referring? And where in the Bible... Is that passage found? The phone lines are completely full. <laughs> and since this is an American Family Radio crowd, I expect that uh, you all have the right answer. Sidra, do you think they have the right answer? What, what are the answers that we have from uh, the people who have called in from that 12-verse passage? Uh, let's see. Let's see if... Alice has it. Alice from Louisiana. Alice, you're on with Frank Turek. How you doing? I'm blessed. <laughs> well, so am I, Alice. Who is, is that passage? Well, first of all, where is that passage from? This Isaiah 53. You are correct. <laughs> so the first caller gets it because this is a sophisticated audience, American Family Radio. And Alice, to whom is this referring, do you think? our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. And uh, just about, as soon as you said Isaiah 53, everybody dropped off the lines, Alice, because you had it right. The first caller gets it right. Thank you so much for calling. Yes, you are correct. It is Isaiah chapter 53, and it is written 700 years or so before Christ. And... If I had to make my entire case on Old Testament prophecy, Messianic prophecy, I would simply pick this passage, Isaiah chapter 53, written 700 years in advance. Now, how do we know it's written in advance? Well, because the greatest of the Dead Sea Scrolls, called the Great Isaiah Scroll, which is about 24 feet long, was discovered in Qumran. Among the Dead Sea Scrolls, it is the entire book of Isaiah, including Isaiah chapter 53, probably the best preserved scroll found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it dates to at least 150 B.C., Before Christ. The scroll itself, obviously the writing is earlier, but that particular scroll, until we discovered that particular scroll back in the 1940s, the earliest scroll we had of Isaiah was called the Masoretic Text in the Old Testament, Um, and it was from about a thousand or so AD. Uh, So about 1,100 years of transmission was able to be analyzed from the 150 or so BC to the uh, about 1000 AD and when they compared the book of Isaiah from the Dead Sea Scroll of 150 BC and the Masoretic text from about 1000 AD they discovered there were virtually no changes to the text and any changes that were done were very slight and didn't affect the meaning of any passage. Now, That just shows you, A, that the scribes were meticulous in their copying of the text over 1,100 years, and B, that this particular passage was written well before Jesus ever showed up here on earth. Now, you might say, well, Frank, it's written in the past tense, it seems. Why would this be a prophecy? This is called, uh, in some circles, Uh, This is called the prophetic perfect tense, and what it means is is that Isaiah, when he had this vision or saw this or was inspired to write it, he wrote it in a way that he was describing what he saw or what he was inspired to write, much like if you woke up from a dream and said, oh, then this happened and then that happened. The dream in your mind is past tense, uh, even though it may be you may be thinking that this is about something happening in the future also this could be taken to mean that it's so certain that it will happen it's written in this called prophetic perfect tense that even though it hasn't happened on earth yet because god has said it will it will it's as if it already has and it's written in that tense now this passage has brought many jewish People to Christ because they don't even know quite frequently it is in their Old Testament. And when you point it out, they're amazed by it. In fact, my friend Barry Leventhal, who was a winner of the 1966 Rose Bowl on the UCLA Rose Bowl team, was a Jewish man who actually came to faith by this passage here. It's an amazing story. He actually now is a professor at our seminary here in Charlotte, North Carolina, Southern Evangelical Seminary, SES.edu. And if you want to get a great education in apologetics and philosophy, you go to SES.edu. You can take classes even online. Uh, You don't actually have to move to Charlotte. Uh, check it out. And I'm going to tell you Barry's story. And we're going to go through six other Messianic prophecies here on the program today. So don't go away. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. Back in two minutes. Don't go away.
2: The church in America is in a state of spiritual emergency. Though we have access to more resources and biblical teaching than at any time in history, we are not characterized by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Every time in Scripture when God's people cried out in humble, desperate, repentant oneness, He responded in favor of their prayers, every time. Today across our nation, God is waking up believers from our slumber to earnestly pray for revival in brokenness, humility, and repentance. Since only Christ can save, heal, and revive, let's join together to turn from every sin God reveals to us, pray with urgency for spiritual recovery and awakening, and unite with other believers in spreading the hope of Christ-centered revival. Unite with others for one night, one hope, one cry.
0: From Lake Point Champion Center in Cartersville, Georgia, Sunday at 5 Central on American Family Radio and
2: OneCry.com for your encouragement and your walk with God. This is David Wolin with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. When the explorer Cortez landed on the coast of Mexico, he sunk his own ships. He made it impossible for his men to turn back. Retreat was no longer an option. In the spiritual sense, something like that happened in Acts 19. The Apostle Paul was preaching in Ephesus and revival broke out. It says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Like the hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And it's a good reminder for you and me, let's not hang on to anything that would hinder us from following Jesus with a whole heart. Try out Anchor Devotional for free. Get started at GetAnchor.com.
1: If you want to see Old Testament predictions of the New Testament reality, the Savior coming in human flesh, stay tuned because we're going to talk about it. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Do you remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus? with uh, some people who didn't quite understand who he was after he had resurrected from the dead. He's walking along and uh, (laughs) they're dejected. And he says to them, why why are you so sad? And they say something like, are you the only person in Jerusalem who didn't know what just happened here? (laughs) Ironically, he was the only person in Jerusalem who did know what just happened there they thought that the messiah or the guy they thought was the messiah had died and was gone and the whole movement was dead and they were all dejected and then at some point in their conversation he says to them and this is from luke chapter 24 if you want to look it up he says how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself Jesus began to explain to them on the road to Emmaus that the entire Old Testament was about him in fact the entire Bible is about him in fact if you had to sum up the Bible in one word it would be the word redemption You have paradise lost in Genesis, paradise regained in Revelation. Everything in between is the story of redemption, and Christ is the Redeemer. He is throughout the Old Testament concealed, yet he is revealed in the New Testament. That Isaiah 53 passage I read at the top of the program is one of the most explicit descriptions of Christ anywhere in the Bible, much less the Old Testament. It explains what he did for us that he took our sins upon himself he was crushed for our iniquities he was pierced for our transgressions written 700 years in advance and it's not the only scripture we're going to get into others here in a minute but let me relate my friend Barry Leventhal who as I say was a Jewish man young man UCLA Rose Bowl team had just won the Rose Bowl in January of 1966. He was a co-captain of the team, and he had been. He had run into a guy by the name of Hal Lindsey. You've probably heard the name Hal Lindsey. He's written a number of books over the years into prophecy it turned out his book the late great planet Earth led a lot of people to Christ unfortunately the book was wrong and <laughs> I was trying to predict the end of the world would come in like 1988 or something it, it wound up bringing a lot of people to Christ which just goes to show you that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick <laughs> you know sometimes we get it wrong but he can still get his will done people did come to Christ through that book. In any event, he was the campus crusade for Christ director on the UCLA campus, and he kept running into Barry and telling Barry that the Old Testament predicted Yeshua, Jesus. And he would show some of the verses to Barry, and Barry would say to him, those verses aren't in the Tanakh, the Jewish Old Testament. He said, you got a trick Bible to fool the Jews. That's what Barry said to Hal, and Hal said, no. He said, you have a Tanakh, don't you? A Jewish Old Testament. Well, Barry has had one. He hadn't dusted it off until, you know, since his bar mitzvah back, you know, 10 years prior or so. But he said, yeah, I got one. And so Hal wrote these, wrote these verses down and gave them to Barry. And Hal said, check these out, Barry. And Barry said, okay, I'll check them out, but don't call me. I'll call you, right? So after about a week, Barry hadn't even looked at the verses. He was starting to feel guilty. He told Hal he'd look them up. So he did look them up and he looked up Isaiah 53 in particular. And as soon as he read that, he knew intellectually Jesus was the Messiah. But he didn't accept Christ right away because a whole bunch of implications rushed right through his head. Like what? What do you mean? Well, what will my Jewish fraternity say if I become a Christian? What will my parents say if I become a Christian? I mean, it, it, there's going to there's gonna be some things I'm going to have to give up. There's going to be some tension. There's going to be some problems. That's why conversion is not not as simple as as we sometimes make it out to be. There's a lot of implications involved in saying, now you're a Christian. So he said, I got to go to my rabbi. I got to see what he thinks about Isaiah 53. So he went to his rabbi there near UCLA. And he said, rabbi, there's some Christians on campus who are saying that Isaiah 53 points to Jesus. It's about Jesus. Who do you think it's about? So the rabbi read Isaiah 53. And he said to Barry, he said, you know, Barry, as I read this, it does appear to be about Jesus. But since we Jews don't believe in Jesus, it can't be about Jesus. And Barry thought to himself, I didn't know much about logic at that point, but that logic just didn't sound kosher to me. Well, a few months later, Barry gave his life to Christ. And now, as I say, he teaches at Southern Evangelical Seminary here at Uh, here in uh, charlotte north carolina ses.edu and his story by the way is in the book i don't have enough faith to be an atheist chapter 13 now that particular passage as i say has brought many people to christ because when you read it you realize this is about jesus this explains beautifully what jesus would do 700 years after it was written it's an amazing amazing prophecy if you haven't read it yet go there and read it if you know somebody who's not a christian Go to them and say, "I'm going to read something from the Bible. Don't tell them where it's from. I'm going to read it, and then I want I want to ask you, who is it about? Number one, and where in the Bible is this about, or where where is it written in the Bible? And most people will get it's about Jesus. But when you ask them where it's you know where it's from, they'll say the New Testament. You got oh, us. is from the Old Testament. This is written 700 years in advance. Wow. Well, that sheds some new light on things, doesn't it?" Now, some people will say, wait, Frank, yeah, okay, yeah, you could say that this is really about Jesus, but it really only, it's really only apparent after Jesus has come. And it, of course, it presupposes that the events that the New Testament talks about really did occur, that Jesus really did come and die and rise again. Yeah, it does presuppose that, but there's good evidence that that happened. There's good evidence a resurrection occurred. There's good evidence of a man named Jesus who did all these things. That's true. We have good evidence for that. But this is written early, but yeah, it only makes sense though, looking backward, not looking forward. In fact, some people say that about Psalm 22. If you read Psalm 22, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" You know that famous passage where it appears to talk about Jesus being crucified, that his hands and his his, his hands and feet were pierced, and his garments were divided. They cast lots for his garments. You know, you know that famous psalm 22 passage you could say this about many in the old testament you go oh gee you know it only looks it only makes sense looking backwards they might say you're only interpreting this passage because you know what happened to christ it probably wouldn't have been apparent to someone in the old testament times that say psalm 22 or isaiah 53 was about christ actually i think they thought it was about the messiah certainly Isaiah 53 they thought was about the Messiah. But let's just grant them that particular piece of skepticism. Let's say, even if that's true, so what? Even if it's true that it only makes sense looking back. It may be true that certain messianic prophecies in the Old Testament become clear only in light of Christ's life. But that doesn't mean that those prophecies are any, li- uh, any less amazing. Why? Well, look at it this way. If you can't make sense of the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle without the box top, does that mean that no one made the puzzle? No. Does it mean that there's no design to the puzzle? No. In fact, once you see the box top, you suddenly realize not only how the pieces fit together, but how much forethought it took to design the pieces that way. In the same way, Jesus' life serves as a box top for many pieces of the prophetic puzzle that are found throughout the Old Testament. In fact, there one Bible scholar, his name is Barton Payne, identified 71 Old Testament messianic prophecies fulfilled by Christ, and some of which are illuminated by the light of Christ's life. I mean, it's been summarized this way In the Old Testament, Christ is concealed, in the New Testament, Christ is revealed. While many prophecies are clear beforehand, some can be seen in the light of Christ's life, can be seen only in the light of Christ's life. Others are clear, even before. But those that become clear after Christ are no less a product of supernatural design than those who were clear or that were clear before Christ. Now, by the way, we have a lot more in this in the book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. In fact, I just read a couple of books sentences from that if you want more on old testament prophecy get i don't have enough faith to be an atheist we cover some of this as well in stealing from god why atheists need god to make their case so even if it only makes sense looking back it doesn't mean it's not designed or it doesn't mean it's not supernaturally put together it was quite obviously it still requires a design just like A puzzle requires a design before you have the box top. The box top is sort of the key to the puzzle. Just like the New Testament is kind of the key to some of the things in the Old Testament that are concealed in the Old Testament, they're revealed when you get to the New Testament. But they're just as much a product of supernatural design as those verses that are clear looking forward, not just those that are clear looking back. All right. Now... There are several others I'm going to mention. We don't have time to get into them in great detail in the rest of the show. But I'm announcing today that we're going to take another trip to Israel this spring. Now, this trip is going to be unlike other trips. This is going to be a much smaller group. We're going to keep this between, say, 20 and 30. And we only have a few seats left. If you're interested in going on this is a VIP trip to Israel by the way what I mean by VIP it means you're a very important person and a trip to Israel is something that actually is a bit tiring why cuz it's not walk where Jesus walked it's run where Jesus walked okay <laughs> when you go when you go to <laughs> to Israel you want to see as much as you can and this time we're going from March 26 to April 6. It's on our website. You can also go to livingpassages.com, livingpassages.com. Or you can call 888-771-8717. That's 888-771-8717 to get the details. The guy who is going to lead the trip with me is Eli Shukron. Who's Eli Shukron? He is a famous Israeli archaeologist who discovered the Pool of Sh- Siloam and excavated the entire city of David. This guy will take you places nobody else can take you. I've been on two trips with him. He's going to be our private guide. And we're staying at the best hotels throughout Israel. Why? Because it's tiring. We want you to rest and have a good time at night when you're resting. It's not a cheap trip, but it's a trip you'll never take with anybody else that will give you this kind of access that only Ellie Shukron can give you. So crossexamine.org, or if you want more details, livingpassages.com, 888 Check it out. I'll talk more. When we're back in just a minute, don't go. This away.
0: is Steve Conover inviting you to listen to the Friends of Israel Today each week on this station. Here's our host and Bible teacher, Chris Katulka. Hey,
1: everybody. The Friends of Israel Today is a unique radio show that teaches biblical truth for changing times. We do this through Q&A, timely interviews, dramatic readings from the life of Holocaust survivor Zvi Kalisher, and, of course, Bible teaching.
0: To learn more, visit foiradio.org. Join us for Friends of Israel Today. Sunday morning at 1130 Central, here on AFR Talk. Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve with From His Heart Ministries. Think how different your life would be if you really believed that you, little old you, were a person whom Jesus loves. You let that settle in your heart and it blows you away every time you think about it. Wow. Discover how to have a life that really matters. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart, weeknights at 6 central, here on American Family Radio. Here's Steve Russo with real answers. An elderly minister shared a captivating story one Sunday about a father, his son, and a friend of his son who went sailing. A fast-moving storm kicked up waves so high that the boys were swept into the ocean. Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the line? He knew that his son was a Christian, and the friend was not. As the father yelled out, I love you, son, he threw the line to the friend. His son disappeared into the raging waves. After the service, some teenagers said to the old man, that was a nice story, but not very realistic. A father giving up his son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian? You've got a point, said the old minister, but that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. You see, I was the son's friend. To learn more about Real Answers, check out Steve's website, www.realanswers.com.
1: Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. If you're low on the FM dial uh, looking for NPR, go no further. You're not going to hear this on NPR, Messianic Prophecy. From the Old Testament? No, you're not going to hear it there. You're going to hear it here, though, in the American Family Radio Network. By the way, do you know the American Family Radio Network, uh, or AFA.net, right now, is putting out these cool wristbands. I don't know if you've seen these things, but go to AFA.net. AFA.net. You'll see them on the right-hand corner there. It says Christmas wristbands. Keep Christ in Christmas. You can click on that right there and order a bunch of them. So pass them around. They're kind of red with white. They're very festive. Take a look at them. Keep Christ in Christmas wristbands. Oh, by the way, I got to say one thing before we move back to the Messianic prophecy. I keep hearing this in the media about the election and, you know, uh, well, uh, Mrs. Clinton won the popular vote and, uh, you know, yeah, okay, okay, Trump won the electoral college, but, you know, Mrs. Clinton won the popular vote, so Trump doesn't have a mandate and all this kind of thing. Look, friends, if the popular vote was the way to become president— then both of the candidates would have campaigned differently. Trump would have been in California, New York, the population centers. He didn't go to any of those places. Neither did Mrs. Clinton. Why? Because it didn't matter. Uh, those states were already taken by Mrs. Clinton. Uh, but you would go to the population centers to try and win votes there. How much time do you think Clinton and Trump would have spent in, Nor- in New Hampshire if uh If this was done by the popular vote alone. Hardly at all. Now, you might say, well, let's get rid of the Electoral College. What is it? No, I think the Electoral College is actually a good thing. There was some wisdom there. Why is there some wisdom there? Well, one reason there's some wisdom there, it gives states more power. Uh, and that's what you need to have a United States. You want people to come together in a united way, and just because you have different population centers doesn't mean that one state can necessarily overpower another state. Now, obviously, the the, the more populous state has more electoral votes. We, we get that, but every state then is in some way important. But secondly, it would be a lot easier to steal an election if you had a national popular vote. Why? Because that means that, say, one a small section of say California if they wanted to commit voter fraud or Illinois or New York or you know that had a lot of people in it they could commit a lot of voter fraud and steal the election whereas it's harder to do if you if 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 your state uh, only has so many electoral votes so there's some wisdom to the electoral college so uh, this this, this whole big thing about Hillary won the pop, and she may have not won the popular vote, by the way, after you take out all the illegal immigrants that voted. But in any event, it's irrelevant. The point is the way that campaigners campaigned was to win the election, not to win the popular vote. If they had to win their popular vote, they would have campaigned differently, and then who knows what would have happened. Anyway, let's get back to the task at hand. We're talking here about uh, Old Testament prophecy, Messianic prophecy, and I mentioned going to Israel. Again, if you're interested in going to Israel, we only have a few seats left on this trip. It's been a private trip to this point, but we open it up for a few more seats. Livingpassages.com. Check it out there. You'll see uh, the Israel Tour 2017 with Frank Turek of Cross Examined. And Eli Shukron is going to be our guide again. You don't get Eli Shukron on any trip. This guy's amazing. I've been on, I've taken two trips with him. You'll love this guy. He takes you to places nobody else can take you. He has literally has keys to get in to archaeological sites that you can't see unless you're with him because he's the archaeologist who discovered this stuff. It's amazing. 888-771-8717, 888-771-8717. Triple eight seven seven one eighty seven seventeen. Triple eight seven seven one eighty seven seventeen. All the details are at livingpassages.com, and they're linked off our website crossexamined.org. So again, this is in April. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's March to April. March twenty sixth to April sixth. It's going to be an amazing trip, and uh, you can see uh, the events of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, it totally does. Uh, It's a cliche to say it, but it's true. It it makes the Bible come alive because you can see where things happened. then. You can see the things Jesus and the apostles were talking about and uh, the writers of the Old Testament were talking about when you go to these places. It's going to be an amazing trip. Can't wait uh, to be there again. Let me just mention a couple of things. Uh, Just... uh, Got back from three uh, great schools with three great organizers was at uh, Sam Houston State Tuesday night. Uh, the great Tim Ramsley, Ramsey down there got uh, the full house of four hundred people. That was great. We actually streamed that. You can watch the entire presentation on our facebook page crossexamineorg So far, over twenty thousand people have uh, have watched it, or at least pieces of it. The whole thing is up there, so if you want to see that next night, Virginia Tech. Uh, Anthony Saladino has a great ministry there with Chi Alpha there was over 450 kids in that room that night that was on Wednesday night and then the next night a smaller school much smaller school called Gordon University or uh, Concord University excuse me Concord University in, Con- in Athens West Virginia and Lance McDaniel and others were the folks that organized that there we had I don't know probably 150 200 in that in that much smaller school but that was another great event a lot of great questions by the way uh at all three of those campuses so uh Look for, uh, look for the stream on crossexamine.org Facebook page, and you may see some of those questions off our Facebook page as well because we always film the Q&A, which uh, is uh, something we do because some people will watch a you know, two- or three-minute Q&A, but they won't watch a two-hour presentation, so we do that. And questions are interesting, the back and forth, uh, so check that out on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org and Dr. Frank. Turek. Uh, by the way, if you want us to come to your university, contact us at crossexamine.org. Go to crossexamine.org and uh, look at the very top of the menu there. Look at at events, and uh, let's see, is it event? No, contact. Just look at contact. You can get to us that way if you want us to come to your church or your campus. Okay, messianic prophecies. Let's get back to this. We talked about Isaiah chapter 53. There are six others. I just want to mention. Uh, the first one is actually the very first prophecy in the entire Bible. It's Genesis three fifteen. It's right after Adam and Eve fall. Right after it, it's God intervenes immediately after there's a problem, and here's what He says. Uh, and I will put enmity. And when you read this, you might go, "This is a prophecy. What do you mean?" Uh, he, God is talking to Satan, and He says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, what is this offspring? What's that all about? Well, obviously Eve had offspring and her offspring was going to be the Savior because the Savior would bruise you Satan on the head although Satan you will bruise this savior on the heel in other words you will strike at the heel of this savior so the point here is is that Eve knew immediately that there was going to be some sort of savior for her and Adam's sin she didn't know how this would come when it would come but the prediction Begins right after the fall. Now you say, what do you mean Satan have had offspring? What the heck is that about? Who is Satan's offspring? Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, he's talking to Pharisees and he says, you belong to your father, the devil. Wait a minute. Let me stop right here. <laughs> was Jesus always a soft and sweet guy? No. Jesus was not Barney, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? He sometimes told people the truth unvarnished. He went, imagine calling somebody, imagine saying to somebody, your father is the devil. Imagine doing that today. That's what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 8. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. This is John chapter 8, verses 44 to 45. This is Jesus calling these Jews who didn't believe in him the the children of the devil. Your father is the devil, the offspring. Wow. Wow. Well, I guess, can you say that anybody who's not a believer is the child of the devil? What? I don't know if I'd go that far, but he certainly was calling these people the offspring of Satan. Now, Christ ultimately wins, as you know, despite Satan's attempt to destroy him. Satan had him killed but Jesus rose from the dead and that begins that prophecy that that intervention that god begins i said earlier remember the entire theme of the bible is redemption that's that's the whole the whole point here and god is the redeemer christ is the redeemer as soon as adam and eve fall bam here comes god to say there will be a redeemer by the way if you saw the movie the passion this was done beautifully by mel gibson remember in the beginning of that S- that that scene where the snake is kind of slithering over Jesus and then he's in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, the snake slithering over him over him, and then he stands up and he stomps on the head of the serpent. And then you see the guards coming to get him. In other words, he decided, I'm going through with the sacrifice. And so he crushes the head of Satan, just like this passage says. Well, I thought that was beautifully done by Gibson. So that's the very first prophecy. Now there's, there's scores of these prophecies. I'm just going to pick a few more. The Messiah would also come from the line of David. The line of David. We know he comes from the the tribe of Judah. That's... Genesis 49:10, but he also comes from the tribe of David or from the branch of David from the he's an offspring of David and this is said in Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah 33 for example Jeremiah 33 says behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah that's where we get the word Jew from by the way Christ comes from the tribe of Judah and the branch of David. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. He goes on to say, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. It's Jerusalem. She will be called the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings and to prepare sacrifices continually. Who prepares prepares sacrifices continually? Who is the sacrifice continually? Jesus, Hebrews chapter 7. So the Messiah is going to come from David more after the break you're listening to cross examine with frank turek back in two minutes
0: thanksgiving is near and changes in the air maybe you've experienced some changes this past year and today you might be asking yourself what do i have to be thankful for no matter what your situation might be there is someone who is there for you someone who can bring you an answer to the fears in your life his name is jesus christ Placing your faith in Him is the first step in obtaining the peace found solely in a relationship with Christ. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, it's written that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wouldn't it be great to know that someone is there who will never, ever leave your side? If you'd like to learn how to have a personal relationship with Christ, call 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM or chat with us at chataboutjesus.com.
2: Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, popular creation speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, have investigators found any evidence of life in outer space? Not a bit, Chris. They've pointed their telescopes to the skies, hoping to pick up any signal that's non-random, like Mars code. Actually, they're setting their sights rather low. They think that just a few letters would indicate intelligent life. But at the same time, scientists look at the incredibly complex information-loaded DNA code with billions of letters all in a precise sequence and call it random. In spite of this incredible complexity, atheistic scientists refuse to believe that it's the evidence of intelligence. Yet they say that the simple hoped-for code from outer space would be the sign of intelligent life. How inconsistent! How inconsistent! At least the creation model doesn't depend on claims such as this. Let's go back to Genesis and get it right. For more on creation, visit our website at www.icr.org.
1: Messianic prophecies, ladies and gentlemen, today. So far we've covered Isaiah 53. We read that at the top of the program. I just uh, mentioned... Genesis 3.15, and then Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 33, that Jesus would come from David, the Messiah would come from David. The Messiah will also be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, where does that come from? Micah, who's writing about the same time as Isaiah, about 700 or so BC. He says in Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. A reference to God. Now he says, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Why Bethlehem Ephrathah? Because there was another Bethlehem in the north. So he's actually, there's two Bethlehems in, Jerusalem, or in, uh, in Israel. Micah's picking the right one the one that's about seven miles south, southwest of, of Jerusalem that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem now who else was born in Bethlehem? David but David was born in Bethlehem 300 years before this passage was mentioned Jesus it was written this passage predicts the Messiah will also be born in Bethlehem but he's coming he's coming he comes about 700 years later. So you've got Genesis 3.15. You've got Jeremiah 23 and 33. And you can throw in Genesis 49.10 in there if you want. And there's other passages. I'm just picking a few of them. Uh, Then you've got Micah 5.2 as to where the Messiah will be born. And not only that, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, you've got that the Messiah will be born and will be God. This is a famous passage we're going to quote, maybe without thinking about, over Christmas. We ought to meditate on it, marinate on it. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wait, 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 wait. A child will be born, and he will be called God? Yep of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on David's throne there's another reference to David and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this this is Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 to 7 that the That God would literally be a child born. And as we know from the Trinity, that Christ added humanity when he came to earth. He always was God, but he added a human nature. So Jesus had two natures. He had a human nature and a divine nature. And that's why when you you ask a question about Jesus, you always have to ask two questions. Because sometimes you'll hear people say, well, how could Jesus be God when he didn't know when he was coming back? You know, doesn't God know everything? Didn't Jesus know when he was coming back? If he didn't know he was coming back, he can't be God. No, you got to ask two questions when you're, you're talking about Jesus. Did Jesus know when he was coming back? As God, yes. As man, no. Did Jesus get hungry? As God, no. As man, yes. See, so you always have to ask two questions when you're talking about Jesus. But this passage here in Isaiah chapter 9 is amazing And it is a reference to the Messiah. Again, 700 years in advance that the Messiah would be God. And not only that, but this being, this God, this Messiah would actually come to the temple. And we can begin in Malachi, or some say the Italian prophet Malachi. (laughs) Okay, Malachi, uh, the last book written in the the Old Testament. Let's start in in chapter 2, verse 17. We'll get the whole passage here. And uh, the uh, prophet is saying, you, speaking to the Israelites, have wearied the Lord with your words. And the Israelites are saying, well, how have we wearied him? And Malachi says, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? In other words, the Israelites, who had just come back from exile, are kind of apathetic. And... uh, and they are starting to call evil good and good evil, just like we've done in this country for quite a while now. We're calling evil good and good evil. And the Israelites are saying, Hey, we're we're doing that. We're well, we're calling good evil and and evil good. And Malachi's saying, That's not a good thing, friends. God's not pleased with that. Or, you, you Israelites, you're saying, where is the God of justice? Like, if you're saying, hey, Malachi, if you're saying we're doing wrong, why hasn't God judged us? We're back in the land now. You know, he, he, he's not judging us. We seem to be doing fine, even though we're not obeying him. Well, stand by. <laughs> God is patient. He'll let you sin and get, you know, and, and you won't get immediate consequences right away, but it's coming. The next verse says this now you're in Malachi or Malachi three one. it says see I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me who's that a reference to friends that's John the Baptist then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty what then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple yes God will come to the temple now if this passage is going to turn out to be true then the Messiah must have come to earth prior to the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. You see that? You see why here? Because if the Lord's coming to the temple the Lord you seek is going to come to his temple um, it's got to have happened before 70 AD because that's when the temple was destroyed. So you're going to call Evil good and good evil. And you're going to say God's not judging us, but watch out, boys. He's going to come to the temple. And then what happened after he came to the temple? Well, first of all, he cleansed the temple and he said there's going to be a judgment. And then, bam, 40 years later, after he said, this generation will not pass away before these things have occurred. What has occurred? These, the temple's going to be destroyed? The city's going to be destroyed? Yeah. Before this generation. Has passed away. What's a generation? 40 years. When did he say that? 30 AD. When did it happen? 70 AD. Bam. They were judged. So we've got Jesus, the Messiah, predicted in the Old Testament that he would literally come to the temple. You also have a prediction from Daniel chapter 9 that he will be killed in the first century. And Christians date these. Differently, But I think the, the most reasonable way of dating this passage is to say literally that he was going to be cut off. Well, let me read the passage and I'll explain it. This is from Daniel chapter 9. And the context is Daniel is praying to God and says, God, tell me what's going to happen here. I mean, we've been in exile for 70 years. What's going to happen? And I can't read the whole thing because I don't have time, but... He says in verse 25, he says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree, of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Seven sevens and 62 sevens. Those sevens are sevens of years. So if you do the math, it turns out to be 483 years. I don't have time to explain it now. In any event, in verse 26, it says, Then, after the sixty-two sevens, sevens, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. The Messiah will be cut off? Yeah, it turns out from the decree to, to to rebuild Jerusalem, which happened in about 444 BC. If you do all the math, again, I don't have time to explain it here. you do all the math, it turns out to be 483 years after that. 483 Jewish lunar years, 360 days, not 365 days. And that turns out to be 33 AD. And this was written when? Um, Daniel written, uh, even if the liberals are right, it wasn't written in 165 BC, but that's what they'll say because so much of Daniel seems to speak about events that occurred uh, in the 2nd and 3rd century BC uh and so they're saying it had to be written after that they so they say 165 BC even if they're right about 165 BC uh <laughs> this is still 200 years prior to Jesus coming to earth or 160 or so years prior to that so it doesn't it doesn't help you're 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 still dealing with a prophetic a very specific prophetic Prediction here about the Messiah being killed. But no, Daniel's written in the 500s BC. Now, you put all these together. You put these seven seven messianic prophecies together and they're, they're in the book I don't have enough faith to be an atheist they're also in the book Stealing from God you take Genesis 3.15 you take Jeremiah 33 you take Micah 5.2 you take Isaiah 9.6 you take Malachi 3.1 you take Daniel 9.24-27 and you take Isaiah 53 and you really got to be blind not to see there's some supernatural influence behind these writings because how could they have known all this in advance. Even if they didn't really know what they were writing at the time, somebody who inspired them did. Yeah, we get the box top once the New Testament arrives, once Jesus arrives. We get the box top to Old Testament prophecy, to the Old Testament puzzle. But the puzzle is still designed whether or not you have the box top. Once you get the box top, then you realize, man, this really is amazing. So, if you really want to go deep into Old Testament prophecy, I highly recommend you get Michael Brown's book, my friend Michael Brown, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, volume 3, because sometimes Jewish folks try try to try to counter this. And his Volume 3 deals with Messianic Prophecy Objections, so you can go deep there. All right, friends, that's Messianic Prophecy. More next week. Look forward to uh, seeing you next week. And by the way, our TV program has some of these shows on it dealing with these prophecies. So check that out on TV Channel 378. Also streamed on our app, so download the app. And don't forget about the Israel trip. Check our website and livingpassages.com for more. I'm back next week. God bless.